0: Welcome to The Currency. Welcome. I'm your host. I'm Mike Gaston, a brand and marketing strategist. And as always, I'm thrilled to have you guys along. This podcast is all about the power and the beauty, if you ask me, of private industry in America. And today I'm joined uh, by Dave Vinisky. He's partner of the EFPR Group. They're CPAs based here in Rochester, New York, with clients all over the country. And uh, Dave is going to be talking to us today a little about state and local tax. Dave, welcome to The Currency.
1: Thank you, Mike. Uh, Glad to be here.
0: Yeah. Now, for the audience's sake, you know this because you're a gracious man, but we tried this once before about a month ago. I came in, we set up, we were having a great conversation, and then I realized that only half of the conversation was being recorded. So uh, you very graciously said, we'll try again. So we're sitting in your offices. We're in the old Xerox building in downtown Rochester, overlooking, uh, well, I guess I call it the snowy tundra. You You can't even see the horizon right now.
1: Uh, yeah, today, and uh, hopefully uh, within the next few weeks, uh, the gr- groundhog saw a shadow. Okay, so that's hopefully good news. we're going to be seeing it over here pretty soon. But in the interim, we're going to see some um, more challenging weather.
0: Yeah, so. well, that's we're used to it here in Rochester. Yeah. So, tell me a little bit about your history here with the company. You've been with uh, EF Pierre, I think, for a couple decades at least, if not yeah, more. Yeah. So
1: um, I've been with the firm since 1984. I've okay. been a partner since 1988. Um, my niche area, I've worked with uh, um, businesses, small businesses, individuals, uh, consulting, primarily str- strong in the tax arena Okay. and being able to work with that, but also to work with individuals and businesses and talk about the um, aspects beyond just the yes, no, uh, here's what you do, uh, here's how you need this thing, do things, structure it and other issues like that. So what I'm inferring
0: from that is that you take a more consultative approach for your for your clients. It's not just uh, here's the technical aspects of tax compliance, but these I'm guessing are people that are running businesses. These are high uh-huh. net worth individuals. What, what kinds of people are you
1: serving? A pretty good variety, and actually, in, in my business, at least what I found from my experience. Um, so, first of all, I love it interacting with people and uh, clients because you learn so much. I do a lot, actually, in the high tech community. Okay, and the, the one thing that I'm constantly reminded of is, is how little I know outside of my profession, and you know, working with very intelligent people, and it, it's good because it keeps you challenged. You need to be able to express in a different way because their mindset is very very, very different. They can be very intelligent. Yet when it comes to this type of advice, uh, they need a lot of guidance. They need to know what their options are, bottom line it so that they can make a decision at the same time that feel like they need to uh, learn all about the tax law, et cetera.
0: Okay. So you're there kind of as a trusted advisor. They're trying to solve problems, move their organization forward, accomplish goals that they have, and uh, retain profits, obviously, as best they can. And then you're there trying to help them understand the landscape. You're helping them understand their options and, and the various potentials of where those options can go so they can make good decisions. Correct. Okay. Fantastic. How, tell us a little bit about the firm. How, how large is
1: is this company and, and what's its spread? What's its footprint look like? So EFPR Group is about 150 people, 160, somewhere in there. We have uh, our physical presence... Our here, our main office is here in Rochester. Mm-hmm. Our next largest office is in Buffalo. Okay, then likely the Corning, New York office. Okay, Albany, New York office. Yeah, uh, Jupiter, Florida. And then they, we have a small satellite office in Newark, New York. Okay. So the the one we have to talk about just for a moment is the Jupiter, Florida
0: office. How did that come to be?
1: So it originally started, one of my uh, partners, uh, due to some uh, physical conditions, needed to get to a warmer climate. Uh, so he found a p- small practice, was able to do a tax uh, uh, area, and so he moved down there. But one of the first things he did was my son, who also works with the firm. He recruited my son to go down there. And as I often tell people, I think we have it backwards. I should be down there, and he should be up here. But <laughs> You've, that's paid not the case.
0: You've paid right, your dues. You've paid your dues. This isn't right. Yeah, this is upside down. Right. Well, if you could open an office uh, towards your retirement, what what city would you? What's your favorite city down south?
1: Well, I. I have a strong appeal to going towards uh, Jupiter, Florida, just because we have an office there. I can actually sure. go down there, work part-time, uh, hang out with my son, yep. and do things like that. That's yep. uh, There's some appeal
0: Fair to enough. look
1: at doing that. And as you probably are aware, in working with companies, clients, et cetera, you don't necessarily need to be physically present. Uh, and I have a very good friend who is an investment advisor, and he is in Florida, you know, Eighty five percent of his time. Wow. And so it's he's still very effective and uh, able to enjoy himself and uh, do good family uh, quality uh, environment. Sure. Well, one of the reasons I wanted to sit down and talk with you
0: today, you know, a lot of the listeners to the show are entrepreneurs, business owners, et cetera. You know, we're right now it's it's uh, February thirteenth that we're recording this, and uh, so we're coming in. I, from my perspective, we're coming into tax season. I'm assuming you
1: have already been in the tax mode for a while now. Uh, it's still very early. Okay, so the uh, y- you get the the H&R blocks uh, and stuff like that. The, yeah. they've got the onslaught of the the people who are looking to file returns to, yeah. to get their refund. Yeah. You know, my average client isn't looking for necessarily a refund because the Money's usually roll uh, from one year to the next. Sure. Not that they, they there aren't situations, but usually the higher level taxes. It's it's more of a question of paying it. You're you're never on a win side of the situation. Yeah, and part of it is just to try to manage all the taxes, etc. So yeah. so it's still very early. It's uh, next uh, week or two. Okay. And they start to really ramp come. up. Yeah, yeah. I got the email from my
0: accountant saying. Um, you know, we sent the packet and the agreement. Please sign off on it. Pull all your data together. Can you get it to my office by the 15th, which is Saturday? He's already <laughs> working weekends so that we can get your corporate filed in time. But the reason I bring that up is just to say people are in that kind of tax mindset right now. Right. And today what I was hoping to talk about is not federal or state income tax, but state and local tax. There's There's been some changes through the recent uh, time and some confusion. And I thought for entrepreneurs, this is really – important topic that I, that my understanding is a lot of people don't really realize what's going out of the, the ramifications. So mm-hmm. I know people refer to it as SALT as an acronym, but state and local tax. Um, do you mind giving us just like a little bit of a background before we get into the nuts and bolts of the whole state and
1: local tax sure. piece? Sure. So as we know, hundred years ago, right? So you did business in your local jurisdiction, you really didn't go outside of it. The horse uh, couldn't go that far. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously large businesses uh, still had that level of sophistication. Whereas today, I can be as as I said, I could be in Jupiter, Florida. I could be working at a client here in in New York. So we've seen a lot of complexity Mm -hmm. Uh, as a result of it. So the the traditional business, and again, you know, a hundred years ago we were manufacturing. We were blue collar. We did a lot more uh, hands on things. Obviously, we had service industries. But what is what do we have today? The service industries are our largest industries. And by comparison, most of the manufacturing, uh, other than those that require a high degree of intellectual property, uh, are outsourced to um, other areas, China, by example, where labor costs are significantly less. So what you really have is a society where we're interacting on not just a local basis, but a national and or worldwide basis, where it was unprecedented before. Uh, what you come back to is that the we are, we know how the federal taxation system works. Let's let's say we do. Okay. Um, <laughs> you then have though uh, what the the state and local governments and the challenges, and especially we had uh, major legislative changes in 2017, and you especially you get a lot of the northern belt um, states uh, where they you're losing uh, population why because of taxes so a lot of these states are looking at every source of revenue that they possibly can
0: and i just i'm just going to interject for listeners that are outside the us the uh, the kind of northeast of the u the usa new york uh, maybe ohio some of these states are in new jersey high, higher tax so we're taxed on a state level and a federal level and these tax regimes tend to be a little bit more aggressive let's say or State oriented than maybe a state like Florida, correct. So okay, so that's where you're talking about. There's a bit of migration because people are trying to get away from higher taxes.
1: Correct. Um, At the same time, other states where they don't necessarily have high income taxes, they're getting aggressive as well. Good example: Texas. Mm -hmm. Texas doesn't have a income tax that's assessed at the individual level, um, but what they do is is they hit up companies. And not just companies located in Texas, companies selling into Texas, and they hit you up with a gross profit tax. And I'll talk a little bit about the different types of taxations and why there's so many different um, in a a few moments. But, you know, basically what you've got is a number of states and even Florida, they they try to grab on to as much as you can. Another great example, I've got a, a company that I work with and they have a sales office in uh, down in Texas. And suddenly they've got a personal property tax. And what is it? It was about 1.8% of the value of inventory that was being held. So what you, what you have is the states are getting a lot smarter and they have more resources by employing technology on reaching out to... Not only residents, but non residents. Non residents don't put you in office. Residents do. So if we can bring money in from other sources outside of our state, well, you're not going to have many of your constituents uh, complaining about that. Mm. So uh, let me back up a, m- a moment because you know, originally started off with. Outside of the income taxes, and again we're stuck in our uh, individual borders. So if I was in Rochester, New York, I, my business, maybe I travel by car. Or hundred years ago, maybe I was doing horse and buggy, whatever the case may be. Uh, so the first source of additional pain from the state levels uh, was sales tax, and why? Because you have a transfer of property; you can e- easily uh, measure that and you can assess it with tax. Um, that's grown significantly. And in fact, actually, I pulled up earlier in preparation for this, there are ten over 10,000 taxing jurisdictions for sales tax in the United States. Oh, over 10,000? 10, 10,000 taxing jurisdictions in the U.S. for sales, sales tax. Sales tax. Yeah. So, so what you run into is you're not only running... The issue associated with the c- compliance, but the cost of achieving those compliance measures. Because if you're dealing with that many uh, jurisdictions, uh, et cetera, you've got somebody uh, forms. Let's say I've got a client where we just recently expanded. We've got around 38 states that we're going to be filing in. And I said, you can plan on about uh, 80 notices a year. Why? Because they usually have an issue. Uh, And then you've got to have somebody, whether it's us uh, the CPA is an outside consultant, or you're going to have an internal person. So you're expending a lot with regard to resources. So
0: it's just a lot of cost to be compliant, to make sure that you're being compliant as this gets more and more complex. Correct. Yeah. You know, I noticed like I when I owned my agency, I had a I had a, a sales tax audit. You know, we'd just come out, we were in the midst, I'm sorry, it didn't come out, we're in the midst of the financial crisis. My business wasn't huge, but it was like a just over a million dollars a year in revenue, handful of employees. I went from a million a year in revenue down to four hundred thousand. I mean, we're reeling to let go of a lot of people. And right around that time, uh, I believe Spitzer, Governor Spitzer at the time, was running the show. I get a call saying, "Well, we want to do um, we want to do a sales audit, a sales tax audit." But I thought it was a, I thought it was a prank because the person on the other end of the phone clearly was not a native English speaker. They sounded Asian, so I thought this must be a fishing expedition. Mm -hmm. I kind of ignored it. (laughs) They called back, and no, this was New York State. They wanted to do an audit, and uh, it was very disruptive. And and the thing, the reason I bring all this up is, you think it's so simple. It's eight percent across. You know, you hit these things. It's very complex. Something as simple as sales tax. They, you know, because we were giving digital files on a CD to a client, we might lay out like a brochure, put it on a CD, give it to the printer. They were saying, well, no, that's taxable because it's a physical item that you just sold. And we're like, no, 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 just removing the data on a piece of media. No, no, that's taxable. It was just very confusing as to, you know, and, and that plays to their benefit. So you need to have someone on your side to kind of navigate, advocate, and say, hey, this is how to deal with this.
1: Right. So one of the things that you have to keep in perspective, many of the laws that are on the books were written many years ago
0: before a lot of these 40s, things like digital 40s 50s yeah,
1: yeah. and technology has changed um our products have changed and again uh, we used to have goods and services and it was pretty easy uh New York state as in many states and and again we'll we'll isolate it to sales tax for a moment uh they they basically have on their books everything is taxable unless it's exempt Mm-hmm. So unless if you can find on a piece of paper, and uh, so the, and the the resources uh, and the ability to, to achieve data, uh, excuse me, uh, research something up until a few years ago has been difficult. So the experience that you were talking about really goes back to when we first started really getting into the internet. So suddenly, we could now... We expanded. So, whereas we used to buy it at the local hardware store, the grocery store, whatever the case may be, uh, office supply, we could now order it online. So, what were the states first faced with? Companies that were, for typically just good business practices, were buying things that were being shipped from jurisdictions outside of New York. So the sales tax uh, division, uh, which grew pretty significantly, was getting a lot of results, a lot of, quote, adjustments, because taxpayers were either A, going out of state to buy them, or B, just ordering and having it mailed. Uh, That's changed. And we're going to see another transition over the next few years. What we're going to start seeing is, is our New York state auditors are going to be spending more time in dealing with the non-residents. Why? Because what they want to do is come back and say, you have activity that effectively connects you to our state. And as you are now connected to our state, you have an obligation to collect and remit sales tax uh, on our behalf.
0: When you talk about in when you talk about um i don't know if you said individuals that are outside the state, but we're talking about both corporate entities and individual yep. people correct Experts, right. correct right you know it's interesting as you talk about this i mean it it's it just my mind, and I'm not an accountant, obviously I don't know this industry you've forgotten more than I'll ever know, but how does this ever stop it just the reach seems to get more and more technical more and more complex. I remember Amazon early days you could. Buy from Amazon and not pay sales tax, and it was legit. They just shipped to you, but then the laws changed, and now you got to start claiming sales. You're looking, was it legit? I never paid sales tax in the early no, days. <laughs> no, so uh, I remember I started having to claim at a certain point, but you never claimed before.
1: So interestingly, the the tax is really assessed um, at the transaction. So it's a question of whether the retailer, wholesaler, whatever the the, the seller sure. has an obligation. Um, to collect and remit on behalf of a taxing jurisdiction. The obligation that you had is... Was there no matter what. Okay. So if... And I'm thinking like late and, 90s probably. Well, when it's so blessed, whether it's yeah. an individual, and I, I'm not aware of any individual. Actually, I do have one individual that was assessed with it. They were bringing... So it was property that they brought in from a foreign country. Okay. And customs uh, had it. They had to declare it and all that. And South Tax did come back and say, sure. you know, here it is. And you have other things. It's the the old, uh, you know, the people who uh, bought the boat, and, but they never brought it into New York. They instead uh, docked it in... Uh, mm-hmm into Delaware, which I believe has an exemption, and, and all the, there's a okay. variety of tricks. But the reality is, is if I bought something and I brought it into the state, it is um, okay. may not be subject to sales tax, but subject to use tax. Okay. So that's where they were going after a lot of businesses, primarily, to look at transactions whereby they bought products um, and were then Turning around and not paying uh, the sales tax, and again, oftentimes it was not uh, intended uh, for a consequence. There's a whole bunch of other things with regard to whether something's exempt uh, and whether it's uh, um, what is taxable. So, if I if I'm building a product, uh, you know, the the items that I use to put into my cost of goods sold, oftentimes uh, are not subject to right. sales tax when right. I buy it. However, sell what it, else yeah. is, yeah, but, so, but then what, how do you handle things like shipping supplies? How do you handle uh, incidental costs? Uh, all those different things. And again, it's never been um, pleasant in that the state oftentimes, unless if you could show where your exemption existed, it's uh, prove it. That's gotten a little bit easier with the use of technology and the ability to pull things up, but still it's uh, cumbersome mm-hmm. uh, at a minimum.
0: So we're talking a, little, a few minutes ago, and I keep interjecting and maybe getting us off track a little. But you talked about some changes that some major changes that happened in 2017. I think you were kind of bringing us up to where, where the state that we're in, and you you alluded to there's some other major changes coming. We're talking about the level of uh, investment necessary by um, taxpayers to be compliant to make sure that they're. Covering all their bases. What what happened in 2017?
1: So, Mike, uh, actually, if we could go back a few years earlier, uh, there was uh, many decades ago the passing of the what's known as uh, Public Law 86-272. The purpose of 86-272 was to prevent the states from overreaching their jurisdiction and taxing a company merely for their right to. Uh, solicit sales uh, within that state. The fact that the companies weren't really having a physical presence, they didn't have any business activity other than selling a uh, selling activity, the state could not uh, do it. Now, since then, states have become um, very aggressive. So what they've done is they've looked at uh, additional ways to uh, reach out to companies, including anything from uh, Texas, some other states, where they have what's known as a gross profits tax. Um, and uh, other seri- uh, franchise tax is another uh, situation. It's not an income tax, um, but in fact, it's a um, tax that's assessed on the ability of, for the right to – have a activity sales activity in that specific state. So what changed? If if
0: this decades ago ruling came out to say, look, you can have a sales rep drive town to town in our state if you're from out of state, we're not going to hit you for that. How now is Texas able to say, well, no, that's not right. We can we can get you if you're doing if you're trying to sell here.
1: Right. So uh, a lot of it's the internet the ability, the, uh, uh, the international, the ability to do, um, business from a remote location and sell into a state. So previously we did, you know, we had situations. So catalog sales. So what was it? The original, i um, just trying to remember when we were growing up. Uh, was it the Sears the catalog? The Sears catalog. That's Sears right. Sears catalog. Uh, uh, if you're from Rochester, the present company. Present uh, company. Uh, you know, yeah. there's a number of things where you could do it. And yeah. there is a question if that was fulfilled from uh, outside of the, the state of operation, you could get around the sales tax. Again, the individual would still have a liability to pay the tax. I'm trying to remember what uh, a lot of those because I think catalogs uh, constituted sometimes uh, a presence of doing business within that state. So with the ability for uh, commerce being conducted uh, over the internet, what was happening is a lot of states were losing sales tax revenues. They became more aggressive they started looking at other uh, methods. They basically started coming back with uh, things like the ability for a company to um, gander sales from their state constituted a form of doing business by working uh, with the, their taxpayers of the specific state, whether it was um, it's interesting some of the background, whether it's credit card charges, uh, purchases, telephones, all of these different things, the the methods that they could uh, reach out and collect tax revenue. David, as we're talking about this kind of stuff,
0: I um this is where my mind goes, and I know you're not an attorney and uh, you're you're an accountant, a CPA. But I hear this and I say, okay, well, if, if if the government can make the argument that I'm transacting and doing business in their state, what stops uh, a sister department like in Albany, state of New York, uh, let's say workers' comp. So you got the tax department saying, well, you owe us taxes because you do business here. What stops the workers' comp department from saying, well, gee, you know, even though you're not physically located here, we're going to hold you accountable for the labor standards that our state has versus maybe the state that you're located in, because there are differences from state to state on, uh, you know, employment at will and different labor standards. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know I'm not trying to put you on the spot because this is outside maybe your
1: jurisdiction, but just curious, like where does this end? Um, not really sure. Not really sure if I can comment with regard to that. Um, there are whole bunch of related issues. So one of the things is, is so I am an individual who, um, I work for a company located here in New York. Now I decide that I'm going to move uh, my family to a warmer climate and I'm still going to work for the company, but I'm going to work remotely. Okay. So now I have made a personal life choice that says I'm going to go to Florida, Tennessee, Texas, uh Nevada. So those are four states where there is no income tax, I guess. So you can go to Washington State. But uh, if you're looking for the warmer client, I'm not sure if you're going to get that quite that, get that. Yeah. But the state can have make an argument that because it's for my convenience as the employee that I'm still going to be subjected to the state tax of the underlying state. Mm-hmm. Now, there's some things that you can do to try to make a sure to plan around, uh, around that. But oftentimes, uh, you run into a situation where there's no clear answer uh, with regard to it. But let me go back to part of what your original question is, what happened in it was 19 uh, uh 2018 and that was the wayfair decision and basically it was the first time since the passing of this of uh, these laws many many years ago when we again uh trade business was conducted more locally that the supreme court came in and ruled i believe the decision was 5 to 4 in favor of the state's ability to say that there's an economic transaction and or threshold whereby a state can tax a business for the transfer of property, a tangible personal property. Uh, so it, the the case is Wayfair, way I don't know if you're familiar with Wayfair, what like if they goods do yeah, yep. uh, furnishings, yep. uh, et cetera. Uh, and or you, you've got very similar with regard to Amazon. Okay. Uh, Amazon was a little bit different. That was earlier in Amazon. What they did was is uh, many of the states were for successful because what they were doing was is Amazon had sales agents. And so um, the ability for them to come back and say that the companies were actually doing business in those states and thus had Nexus. Jumping around a little bit, but let's go back to what is Nexus. So nexus says that you have some connection to the underlying state or the jurisdiction uh, with, in which you are practicing or uh, conducting business. Okay. number of factors. It could be employee, headquarters, inventory, uh, independ- uh, contractor relationships, the ability for somebody to do it. Uh, Oftentimes you'll see a company that will sell like heavy machinery, uh, warranty. So they're going to go in and they're going to do service work,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: installation, training, trade shows. A lot of activities that can basically come back and say that you have business activity in that state. So the Wayfair decision was all about sales tax. And what they basically came back and concluded was is, is that a, the presence of activity can be assumed as a business activity if it's over a certain threshold. And each of the states had the ability to uh, define what they believe their threshold is going to be. the The court concluded that with a threshold of $100,000 in revenue or 200 transactions, the state could come back and say that you are physically active in that and have an obligation to collect and remit sales tax if obviously the um, purchase item was subject to sales tax. So the sales tax compliance, again, along with the burden they – the, the burden of collecting the sales tax and remitting it is the cost of just the compliance, getting your softwares, uh, various taxing jurisdictions. Uh, in New York State, I'm not sure how many there are, but obviously just locally, Monroe County is different than Wayne County, which is different. So all throughout the state, you have many taxing jurisdictions. 10,000, I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so correct. On a national basis, over 10,000 uh, different taxing jurisdictions can make uh, a lot of complexity. My guest today is Dave Vaniski. He is a
0: partner at the EFPR group. They're CPAs based here in Rochester, New York, and uh, offices all over New York and down into uh, Florida. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Dave's going to share a little bit more about this and give us some practical advice and insight on what we can do as entrepreneurs and business owners uh, to to be ready and to be in a good position with uh, these tax issues. Stick around. (music) guys i hope you're enjoying today's show i gotta tell you i really love putting this podcast together There's something really special about meeting these business owners hearing their stories and then getting those stories out to you the community that makes up the currency thank you so much for being a listener thank you for helping me make this podcast so successful. Now, look, if you are a business owner and you're trying to scale your business, you're trying to grow, maybe introduce new products, maybe capture new markets, or just capture more share in your existing market, I'd love for you to get in touch. I'd love to help you. You know, I'm a brand and marketing strategist. I help the owners of private businesses transform their marketing from an overhead function, something that costs them money, to a revenue generating machine, something that brings money into the business every dollar you spend should generate exponential return and so I love working with folks that own businesses to help them do that transformation if that's something you think you could use some help with let's at least have a discussion get in touch like I said my email address is mike at mikegaston.com you can also go to my website mikegaston.com there's a contact form there but get in touch and let's get a discussion started now guys let's get back to today's show And we're back. My guest today is Dave Vanisky. He is a partner at the EFPR group. They are certified public accountants based here in Rochester with the office's all over New York and down into Florida. Uh, We've been talking a little bit about the state and local tax issue, and I want to get into uh, a a little bit around what do we do as a society and what do people do. We're going to answer those two questions as we go forward. But before we do that, please check out Dave's uh, company. You can go to their website. It's efprgroup.com. I'll put a link in the description. Check them out. I think you'll really be impressed with what they have to offer, and you can learn more about them. Of course, if you need uh, some tax advisement, or general accounting services, I highly recommend you give them a look. So, Dave, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. A good discussion. I find myself getting a little uh, frustrated as I hear about the, the reach of the state and the, and the complexity of this. It's a bit overwhelming. And I'm just wondering, um, you know, where is this going? Is this, is this settled down? Are the st- states done now, kind of moving forward? Are they still
1: trying to find new ways to collect revenue? So as a result of this Wayfair decision back in 2018, again, it only applied with regard to sales tax. But the states, which had indirectly been trying to go after non-residents in many different ways, now have a lot more teeth and they have a lot more desire to say, we can win. So we have that ability now to come back and say, we're going to go after you. Uh, not only for sales tax, but we're gonna go after you from income tax. Mm. We can go after you with regard to your ability to just do business, sell product into our state, uh, whereas they didn't necessarily have a strong, strong ground to stand on, uh, historically. Sure. You've got states like California, which is what? The probably the sixth largest nation in the world, if economy just in the at world, the, absolutely right. Yeah, uh, and so when you've got them coming after and threatening you, um, they have the it's it's amazing. You want to talk about overreaching? They have the ability to go to the federal government, even though you are not located in their state, and they can get your income tax return. They can find out information about you through their reciprocity with the the federal government, and then still come back and say, on the basis of the information that we have, and with the use of technology, they can find out a lot more. What if you've got a customer uh, in the state of California that you're working with? Can they come back and take the position? Are you strong enough? Or do you have enough uh, financial resources to fight a taxing jurisdiction?
0: Yeah, well, let me let's make it let's make me as an example. I'm a consultant. I'm here in New York. I work out of my house. I have clients out of state. So I don't have any in California, if you're listening, uh, California. But let's say I have a client in California. Let's say I make a couple hundred thousand dollars working with that client. Does the, is the state able to come after me potentially and say, well, gee, we have a, we have an argument, even if it's not legitimate? Because I'm thinking, what do I I'm just, I'm a corporation, but I'm a person. I'm just an
1: individual right. uh, providing services.
0: How do I fight that? So-
1: again going back to that Wayfair decision they they took the easier one right those a delivery of a product and they actually put a bright line test uh, california's got they they started off originally with uh half $500,000 worth of product that's sold into their state is this okay. for sales tax or something that's sales? for sales tax because i'm wondering about the income tax you, piece. well <laughs> that's where it gets more complex is because uh, when you are providing, especially in a service business, they're going to take a look at um, a couple of different things. Number one, do you have any presence in that state that can constitute nexus? Could be you go out to your customers, right? Um, I fly account. in every once. You're in a while, out there. You're sure. providing the consultative services. Yep. Yep. You now have a connection, right? Now. Uh, the this states, is all fictitious, by the way. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, well, the states do draw um, a, so, first of all, they will come back if, you, if you're providing more than, and I think I saw one, um, um Research paper that was talking about more than one day of services. It doesn't matter what the threshold is. If your income is hundred thousand dollars, and you can come back and say, "I've got ten thousand dollars of that income is from services that were performed in the state of California," they they have the ability to come in, and they have had this. Wayfair really hasn't changed it. Um, They've had the ability to come in and say that you have. Uh, tax liability associated with our state. In- income tax, now. Correct. Talking. Yeah. Now, the step further, and we'll get into the overreaching aspect, which I agree 100% with you, is, is states, New York, California, uh, very aggressive with regard to where they are now coming back and saying, where is the economic benefit of the services uh, received? So now California will come back to, here I am working in my office in uh, Rochester, New York, and I'm providing all types of services, but I'm going to relay that information, uh, to my client that's in California. Okay. If it's more than, uh, and I think it was a half a million dollar threshold, the state of California is going to come back and say the economic benefit of that was derived. Even though I never stepped foot in the state of California, I did all of my services, I have all of my employees uh, sitting in, in Rochester, New York, that that full amount of income that where the economic benefit is delivered to the state of California would be subject to taxation in California. So, just to clarify
0: I'm just maybe try to materialize this or put some put some uh bones to this uh, let's say you're an accountant you've got a client in California uh, you give them some you either do some studies you do some research, you give them some insight maybe around their inventory practices that help them recoup let's say a million dollars i mean that's that's a thing like oh we we helped you uh, maybe finance your inventory a little differently or whatever that is. Now they've they've made quote unquote a million bucks maybe not in out like top line revenue but now that they've got more profitable because you've helped them is is that you know uh, who's being t- is there some tax
1: implications around that because you've helped them make money in essence uh, correct so so number one we have two different uh, things to consider. Number one, have I provided any services in the state of California, in which case then I'm tainted?
0: So let's say you walk, you were on site, you did a tour to make sure you understood everything, you had some meetings with the CEO, you flew back from LA to Rochester, you beavered away at the desk for a couple of weeks and said, I got an idea, and they yeah, made so, money.
1: So that part of the, that aspect of it's more of a sales activity? Yeah. So now when, uh, after I sell, I get it, and then I start go out there and I collect data. Right. Or deliver results. I like right. give the report to the board of directors. Okay. Uh, all of that would constitute activity. All right. So if that is – but let's say even if we're able to isolate and that – And they cut you a check
0: for 500000 saying, well, thank you. You helped us make a million bucks. Well, so then, then
1: we've – You um, got an issue, right? Yeah. yeah. Now we have the economic benefit yeah. threshold. Yeah. That's what so, I was – Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so in which case then, uh, we're gonna, they'll, they'll get you in a different fashion. Okay. And that's where you need to, um, consider. Again, in that situation, I've provided activity. There's, there are so many of aspects of what can constitute doing business. It could be, uh, an agent. It could be any, many, many types of relationships, rental property, uh, going out there. Um, registering in that state to do business because if, uh, you know, the reality is in that customer where it's a half a million dollars, I may need to have a, uh, a legal, I'm going to have a legal document with them. Yeah. I need to be able to enforce my rights, uh, yeah. in that legal document. So I may, my attorney may come back and say, you need to register in the state of California, mm-hmm. uh, to do business in the state of California. Otherwise, uh, you You may run into difficulties along the way your ability to enforce collection et cetera sure let me just let me kind of not baseline this, but let me get to maybe the uh a
0: crux that I think would be great to tackle is it's it seems clear that the state's hunger and I say state's plural possessive plural the state's hunger uh to collect more and more revenue isn't abating there not satisfied with what they have, and they 're always looking for innovative new ways to collect more revenue i think that's just that 's a human history issue that 's not absolutely you, you know unique to us now. The king used to have his poll tax and now but but their ability what 's changed and you brought this up in the beginning is their ability to identify opportunities and collect on those opportunities because of technology, information flows, and that type of thing has gotten uh, exponentially more uh, potent they 're much better at finding opportunities and Lastly, it sounds like the federal government uh, is tending to side with them a little bit when they're going. Even the Wayfair decision, I know, is a threshold. But the states kind of won that. They won the ability to collect. They just had to set a threshold. I Bring this up to say, where uh, does this end? What What do we do to reel this in? Because the states are not going to self-govern. They're not going to say, look, we need to stop. This isn't fair.
1: At some point in time, the federal government is going to have to intervene Because the uh, states that become more aggressive and they're going after non-residents, you run into many issues, including double taxation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Because, uh, well, one state may say that you're subject to tax. The state that you're you're resident in may come back and say, we don't think that it's subject to tax. And therefore, we're not going to give you any – type of offsetting um amount to relieve that. So you will hopefully uh see legislation that's going to be introduced at a minimum to put it to some type of an agreed upon methodology uh, with regard to the factors that are to be considered. Now there are attempts out there. There is a uh, organization, Multi-State Tax Group, uh, uh MST, multi-state tax um, and the it's a collaborative effort to get companies into compliance mm-hmm. and reporting and um, caught up with rare 2 uh, filings they, mm-hmm. they have voluntary disclosure arrangements whereby a company can get back into the system. But still, very expensive. You may be looking back at taxes, um, and oftentimes that is more focused on the sales tax. But that's a group that's helping make sure
0: that you don't get in trouble. That's not a group that's saying, "Look, we're going to knock back the tide of or the or, or no. the, uh, the behavior of the states." This no. is more like this is a cover your rear end kind of correct, yeah, option. So, so when you talk about the federal government, you know, are, are there discussions that you're aware of now in your profession? Are you folks talking about? movements within the government or in political parties to say, look, we've got to reel this thing in.
1: Yeah. So there's been a number of legislations that have been proposed throughout the years, but uh, as in anything else, until it passes, until it really gets into it, is there really, uh, it's very easy to uh, propose legislation. It's another thing to be truthful with regard to it. Yeah. Uh, So,
0: yeah. And it seems like the legislators have been really caught up with, uh, you know, he who shall not be named just because I don't, I don't want to get into a whole sandstorm around that, but obviously there have been other things that have been taking the nation's attention, and um it's a shame because there's really some important things that could be dealt with right. like this absolutely, yeah, so you see this is more of a congressional move at some point, Congress has to get together and say look we need to we need to propose some legislation, get it get it codified and passed, and correct, yeah, yeah, interesting so what what do the what do listeners do you know i 've got folks that are business owners uh, people that, you know like myself consultants, freelancers uh, folks that own large companies, privately owned businesses what what are their options and I guess maybe before I ask before you answer that i, I maybe I'd ask this instead, what do you see with your clients as you 're talking to business owners? Are people aware of this? Is this something that they 're coming to you saying dave i 've got pain? Can you help me or are you saying to them you 'd better be careful because you're exposed and you don't realize it.
1: Oh, we're bringing it up uh, much more often because it's becoming uh, much more at the forefront as a result of the states becoming more aggressive. Okay. Again, the passing uh, of the um, decision in the Wayfair, the states are now coming proactively going after uh, taxpayers. Mm-hmm. So one of the the, the the keys, one of the first things that you're going to do is it's got to be transparency understanding documenting put down the process of your business and you need your professional to understand that it's a lot different than you know here's my number throw it on a tax return and i'm going to give you back a product um You know, we've got computers that can do that, and that's very easy. It's a consultant services, but the starting point is really understanding, making sure you can tell a good story with regard to what your business is, how you're doing, what your activity is, and, you know, part of that could be anywhere from a discussion to what your expenses are, uh, how you're going to generate revenue, uh, a variety of different things, but you really need to have much more of a dialogue than it's been historically.
0: Okay, so it's it's a lot more than as I said earlier. You know, pull your files together, drop them off at the office, um, and and I'll take care of your taxes and submit them. It's it's proactive discussions with your your accounting tax partner to say, hey, let's think through my business a little bit. Help me make sure I'm understanding what I'm doing and where are my exposures.
1: Correct. Okay. So from there, the next step really is is to try to determine, and again, from uh, from a business perspective, do you have nexus? And when I say business, it could it be anywhere from a corporation to a partnership, a professional partnership, a manufacturer. It could be a uh, self employed individual mm-hmm. who um, is going across uh, state lines. Uh, a variety. Um, could also be international. So that's another aspect a that's a little bit beyond, yeah. uh, uh, what we're trying to, uh, accomplish today. Sure. But in, in, actually in some situations, it's a little bit easier. Really? Uh, okay. The international is a little bit easier with regard to <laughs> it. Um, not when it's, uh, um, some of the compliance is very, um, costly though. So the first thing is, is to determine really where it is, where, where do you have the potential exposure In various taxing jurisdictions, whether it's sales, income, payroll, Mm -hmm. a variety of different taxes. After that, and let's, let's, we'll step back to the sales. So in some situations, and I had a recent situation where we came back to, if we took all the company sales and multiplied it by some uh, assumed uh, tax rate, uh, it would be significant. Well, then we took a lot, uh, oftentimes, that the product that they were selling was exempt in many states. Okay. So part of it is a gathering, making sure, number one, what you are, but what your products are, and then the the knowledge. Uh, will I be subject to taxation? Uh, I'm going to step back a, a moment because in that same situation, uh, one of the concerns in a lot of times taxing jurisdictions uh, often will put out uh, what I would say is threat. And that threat is is that you must comply. If not, I'm going to look at you, the individual within the organization, and I'm going to go after you personally. So I'm going to go after the owner, the executive, et cetera. Uh... Um, so the owner, executive, it, that's one thing. No one ever wants a, a government coming after him. But when they come back and t- tell you that you're – uh, your accounting clerk, or your your controller, or your CFO, suddenly you have a nervous employee. Oh wow! And yeah. with today's economy, it's uh, um, very easy for somebody to come back and say, "Boy, I don't need to put up with this." And, I'm out. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm out of here. That's so that,
0: and that's obviously a tactical decision by the state because they say, "Look, if we put pressure on this, they don't have enough skin in the game to fight it. Why would they care? I'm the, I'm the controller. I make a great living, but." I can make a great living somewhere else. Right. right. So the, yeah, the so owner might go to war. They're like, look, this is my, this is equity. This is my life. That's interesting. So
1: in a recent situation where um, um, one of those, uh, employees had that exact concern, uh, the first thing I came back with is if there's a liability, the company's paying it. Okay. So you don't have to worry about the personal right. liability. Um, okay. But but they put that threat out there. Sure, They say, uh, the we need your bit. home address and social security number, to which case See, in, in some situations I've come back to-
0: That's despotic thuggery. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah
1: absolutely. Right? So- um, uh, beat him with a, beat him with a club, yeah, so so you got to worry about the the bully tactics, sure, and that 's why the process you have to make sure you the first thing uh, well they, they always say the first thing you should do is panic, right no, the first thing you don 't do is panic, okay. you, you sit back, you take a look at it, you you come back and try to determine. What is it actually that I have? You got to do a lot of things with regard to definition. Uh, we've got developed uh, all types of uh, questionnaires, checklists, but more importantly, how to document it. And once we have it documented, then what we do, uh, what from from in any company, and there's services out there that will provide this, is to uh, overlay it to make sure, then uh, to determine where our liability, what the potential is. From there what's the solution? What are we going to do? What situations is it de minimis that we're not going to be really concerned about it? Mm -hmm. If a state comes back at a later date and says, uh, here's a bill, uh, you got to pay it, you pay it. Uh, That may be easier than uh, going through the compliance uh, with regard to it. Okay, And so we'll see. Hopefully Congress, again, at some point in time, comes in and at least tries to put some ground rules in play that the states can't go into overreaching situations.
0: You know, I uh, have found in life and business, often when something's undefined, it's bigger and scarier than when you sit down and go, "Let let me define this thing. Let me get out a piece of paper and a pencil. Let me write down what my actual debt is or let me write down what the situation is. Once I've got it defined, it's a lot easier to deal with. And what I'm hearing from you or I'm inferring is... Hey, sit down, talk to your professional, do a little bit of an audit together, informal, for, formal. I'm not talking about a tax audit. Just audit your business. Just look at it and get an idea of where you potentially have nexus. Identify what the exposure is. Once you know, I think it's going to be a lot easier to deal with once you know the, the reality of it. It's the it's when you don't know the reality of it that it's scary. And when you've got it concrete, now you go, okay, now don't we know what to do.
1: Fear of unknown is very real. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. So part of I think the value that you create for your clients is removing that that fear of the unknown and giving mm-hmm. them a pathway forward. No, absolutely, yeah, that's the goal. So, Dave, what do people do if they're looking for a partner? Because I I hear you know you've got systems checklists, you can overlay data against you know these ten thousand different uh, taxing authorities throughout the country. You know, if somebody's using a bookkeeper, I, I'm thinking of us. Obviously, a smaller business isn't going to be as exposed, but. What kind of accounting partner should someone be looking for uh, that's able to do this kind of work? I'm assuming not everybody can do this.
1: Correct. Um, and even there with it, within an organization, in, in our organization, we have a team that specializes in this niche. So not everybody in there is equipped. What's that team called, by the way? Like, what, Do you give it a, a name or a title? Salt group.
0: Salt group. All right. Yeah. So, yeah. so you just you're looking for a, a team of people or an individual that has some salt expertise. Correct. Yeah. State and local tax. Correct. Okay. I and cut so you off. Local. Keep going. So, so you have a group here that's dedicated to that.
1: Yeah. So so what we try to do is educate our people within our organization those situations where they really need to run it by us. I don't know that there's a rule of thumb. I think the important thing is, and you know we have other professionals like smaller practitioners where we are a resource to them. So they have that type of situation. They don't want to deal with it. They don't have the uh, the resources to do it. They don't want to run the risk so associated with right. with giving them improper advice. Yeah, it's a professional so, obligation to the. So planet. it's yeah. um, uh, there's a, a lot more visibility to it. Again, uh, a number of people. Um, I. Uh, unfortunately, I think Wayfair, um, I follow stocks and Wayfair stock, uh, uh suffered today. Um, so I guess, I guess the publicity, it's, uh, right up there, um, with, uh, Trump and, uh, Twitter, right? Okay. So I don't know how Might I, be a good was, time to buy I, Wayfair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, so, uh, Wayfair, uh, is well known in a lot of businesses and they hear it. I don't know that they understand it. Sure. Right? But they understand that something has changed. The, one thing that's um, actually very interesting is, is you know, 2018, uh, we're going on, the, that legislation was passed, uh, excuse me, that ruling came down a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. In the world of taxation, that's not long ago. Yeah. And we're still interpreting. Okay. And again, states are still coming back, writing laws as a result of it. Um, interesting, and we're going to step back into the overreaching. Um, if a state puts on their books and they pass through their legislation that uh, if X, um, the answer is Y, they can enforce it. And that's that. So absent um, some type of a... Legislation out there at the federal level that says no, you can't do it right. they're aggressively going after situations that they weren't doing uh, going after before. and because it's still being interpreted, I would imagine the
0: the uh, kind of recipient of or the person that on the other end of the stick here they can go to court and fight it but how do you how do you how do you fight a state i don't care if you're a hundred million dollar company how do you fight the state of Pennsylvania or California or new jersey it's, yeah, right
1: yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: You know, it's interesting as we're talking, we're talking about how the states now have the ability because of technology to be more effective and potent at uh, identifying taxing opportunities and collecting. The other's true as well that, you know, you could have a couple running a $2 million business out of their basement where they're selling products online. And so where I'm saying, well, the little guy probably falls under the radar. This is not probably, you know, you could have companies that are not big in the sense of our classic definition, but could run a of this quite easily if they're shipping product all over the oh, place. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So this could be a real headache.
1: Well and, and part of the part of that headache is is whereas the state of California comes back and says those product deliveries into our state, half a million dollars, um, state of New York is a million. Some states may have it at a hundred thousand. So it's having that knowledge of knowing, okay, now what is my, do I have to know all of the rules of all of the states in order to really run my business? And that that's the, the difficulty, that's the complexity associated with sure. it. So do you,
0: how, do you see this getting sorted out in the next five, ten years, or do you think this is going to be a long process to get to a place where it's uh, equitable for all parties involved? Um, taxes are never equitable, by the
1: way. I but. gave up on <laughs> trying to predict what a governmental agency will sure. do uh, when logic would suggest uh, that they uh, act accordingly. I gave up on that a long time ago. Yeah. So. That's fair enough. Dave, like we, need, we can hope.
0: Yeah, we can hope. There's a hope springs eternal. Uh, uh, Dave, let me just ask you as we're wrapping up, what, what last piece of advice would you give to folks listening? If they want to either uh, get to understand what's going on, this, maybe this conversation's piqued their interest, they want to go a little bit deeper and educate themselves, uh, maybe they want to start w- moving forward with a relationship to help them navigate, what piece of advice would you leave them with?
1: Uh, document uh, the aspects of your business. Both uh, yourself, the relationships, uh, the your employees, the activities uh, associated, and actually kind of like put together a biography uh, with regard to here's what my business is, here's what it is, and share it with your professionals. And from there, they're going to have a little bit uh, more, whether it's an attorney with regard to a, you know, you should really have a contractual relationship. There's all types of things with regard to business. Uh, If you've got an independent contractor, that should be an employee. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you don't have, if you have uh, areas where you're uninsured because you didn't, uh, no one knew the, the, the nature of the relationship. So, I would put, try to put something together that talks about your business. Uh doesn't have to be anything significant. It could be in bullet form where you can then just put down a, a little bit – uh, here's here's who I am. Here's what I do. You know the org structure. Org structures are important. Uh, the relationships, uh, other entities, and uh, a variety of different things. So it's a lot of it's uh, about documentation. It's not that difficult, mm-hmm. um, but it's something taking the time to do it. Then from there, again, try to share it with your not just your accountant, share it with as many professionals as you're working with, uh, insurance, investment, Mm -hmm. um, legal. legal. And just ask them, does anything
0: here kind of make you other, does this create questions? Do you see any red flags or the things that we need to go deeper with? Essentially, you're giving them a, a, a broad stroke of the business and letting them look at it through their lens and say, hey, we should probably check into this one bullet point here. Well,
1: and with with today's technology, the nice thing is, is we can set up a go-to meeting and have all those professionals on the same call. Uh, You know, sometimes uh, some of us catch up a little bit slower, but you can can easily set up a uh, a meeting. I I have a specific, I've got a number of clients where they are outside of uh, my jurisdiction. And I'll tell you what, we have some meetings that are very effective because we just set it up. Um, whether it's a conference call or it's a go-to you know a uh, a video present you know a um, um, live uh, uh, video presentation sure. or uh, a PowerPoint, whatever the case may be, you can affect a lot. So yeah, part of it's to go through. You
0: yeah. get efficiencies too because sometimes my accountant does things that my attorney does, and vice versa. So. If you've got the team on the call, they can kind of parse out who's going to look into what. You don't have to worry about uh, duplicating efforts.
1: Yeah. Right. And probably less expense.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. what I was thinking. Yeah. Look at yeah. that. Dave already saving Absolutely. my listeners money. Yeah. Folks, my guest today is Dave Vanisky. He's a partner at EFPR Group CPAs. They are located, as I've said, here in Rochester, New York, all throughout New York State, and even into Jupiter, Florida. And uh, it's been a great discussion today, David. Fascinating stuff. I have to admit, it's you, my listeners can probably tell it's it's a little frustrating to hear, you know, the the kind of aggressive nature of the state. But on the other hand, I'm grateful to know that there are professionals like yourself that have done a lot of good work in helping people navigate this. And and as we said, taxes are not a new thing. This is this is a, one of the certainties of life. Uh, our taxes. So I appreciate your time today with your willingness to share your expertise. Thanks for joining me.
1: Okay. And thank you.
0: Yeah, it's been a real pleasure. Guys, as I said before, please check out Dave's company. You can see them at EFPRgroup.com. As I mentioned, there'll be a link in the uh, show notes. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast. You can find the currency anywhere fine podcasts are provided. There'd be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, etc. etc. Uh, guys, I'm grateful for your time. I love you all and I'll catch you in the next episode.